Well, this morning, we'll be continuing our series in James, just like Aaron mentioned, and we'll be talking about trials today. All right? Is that okay? Talking about trials? All right. Got a couple questions to start us off. Has, ever, has anyone ever been through a trial, like a challenging or difficult season? Just show your hand. Has everyone been through anything challenging or like a trial before? All right. It looks like you guys know that. All right. Do you know of someone going through a trial? Does anyone know of anybody going through a trial maybe? All right. There's a lot of hands. And then you don't have to answer this one. You don't have to raise your hand. But are you currently in a trial? Meaning are you in a challenging season, a difficult time, a place that you're like, this is a place of testing. This is hard. If I could, I could get out of it immediately. I would. Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand for that. I know that some of us probably are in a trial right now in this season. We're going to be talking about that and look at the book of James in just a moment. I just want to share a quick story. Uh, recently, I was flying from uh, JFK, from New York City, over to Syracuse on my way home with my wife, Crystal. And uh, I enjoy planes, usually. Um, but this flight, things, it, was, it was really short. It was like 45 minutes. Things started to get a little bumpy. Does anyone get a little nervous with turbulence at all? Or am I the only one here? Okay, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so basic turbulence I'm good with. I'm like, whatever. Um, but boy, this flight, it was at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And we've been flying all day. And I was tired. And uh, I just have the gift of the inability to fall asleep on a plane. Are you with me? You ever see these other people in the seats? You're like, God, why have you blessed them and not me? Everyone's passed out. I was like, what am I missing? I don't know. Guess I just don't like to sleep. But as I was on this plane, my wife, Crystal, she just falls asleep like an angel next to me within like 10 minutes. And after she falls asleep, things start getting real bumpy. You know what I'm saying? It's like bumpy, a little bit of the drop and stuff. And even though it was a short flight, the next like 35 minutes, which felt like years, was just crazy turbulence. People were sleeping, and I felt like I was the only one awake, right? And I was like, oh, God. It's like, we are going down. Like, I know what's going to happen. Like, we're going to crash and see you face to face. And so that's what my prayers were like, you know. Like, this is the end. It was so bad that I never had, I'm not making this up. When, when we landed, the pilot offered an apology. I don't know if you've heard this before on planes. They offered an apology. He's like, I just want to say uh, we tried every level of altitude and all of it was turbulent. We are so sorry for this flight. If we had known, I'm not making this up, if we had known that the weather was going to be this bad, we would have never taken off. Has anyone ever had that apology? And uh, thank you for flying JetBlue. I hope you had a great flight. I'm like, you just said it was awful. Now he had a great flight. I'm like, ay, 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 ay. it was bad. My wife slept through the whole thing. <laughs> she woke up and she's like, you look terrible. I'm like, yeah. It felt very similar to me what the disciples felt was. You might remember when Jesus was in a boat and a storm came up. The disciples are freaking out. And Jesus is just sleeping in the back of the boat on the cushion. I'm like, oh, Crystal, you're more like Jesus than I am. You need to learn how to nap in storms. Now, that was a short amount of time. And we're talking about trials. Oftentimes, it's not just 45 minutes, or in this case, probably exactly 35 minutes. I mean, no, going through a trial, and Andy last week, he did such a great job, amen, just sharing with us. And it's this very similar theme uh, today. But sharing, like, when you're in a trial and a season, oh, man, if you could just get through a, a hard day, that's one thing, right? But, boy, when it goes on for a day, a week, a month, Maybe you're in a trial, a challenge for a year or years. It can start to kind of wear on you, amen? It just, it just, you just feel it. You just feel it. 
And so we're going to be talking about trials today and uh, how we can approach it from a heavenly perspective. And as I was thinking about this, the Lord reminded me of a song that probably a lot of you maybe know. It's an older song. Maybe you can just throw the lyrics up here. Uh, it's called Blessed Be Your Name. Some of you might be familiar with the song. So the first one is awesome. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful. Yes. Come on, Jesus. You're awesome. Where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. But as I was reflecting on this this week, it's much harder, if you have to be honest, sometimes to sing verse 2. Right? Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. We were just singing about that this morning. Thanks, Diana and team. When I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Can we be honest and be like, it's a little bit more challenging? Now, in this seasons of life, if they're represented too, the one that we actually will grow the most in is not usually verse one of this season, right? Where we grow, and you see it in scripture, about seeing a moment, it's usually verse two. And I know if we had a time for sharing the testimonies, I said, can you just share how you've grown in the Lord through a difficult time? I'm sure we could have testimony after testimony after testimony. It's always easier to look back and talk about something that God has brought you through. Like the Israelites, they were brought through the Red Sea. But boy, when you are on the shore of your Red Sea, that's hard, right? When you are in the trial and you're in the thick of it. That's the audience, actually, that James is going to be writing to. But I want to read the scripture, and then we'll talk more about the context. So let's look at, uh, like Aaron said, we're going back to the beginning. We're in James chapter 1, and there's a bunch of verses in here, so I'm going to be focusing primarily on the trial ones, but verses 1 to 18. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bible or turn on your phone and go there, however you want to do this, it'll be on the screen. But let's read this, and we'll talk more about it in a moment. James chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you, meet very, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then the desires, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's take a moment to pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, it is a foundation for us, Lord. 
And God, I just pray as I'm sharing, uh, God, that you would lead me and guide me in my words. God, would we receive together what you want to show us through your spirit? Help us, God, to uh, apply what we're learning today, God, not for our glory, but for your glory. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the context that James is writing. We've heard a little bit over this series as we're relooping on this, uh, this book again in different sections. Uh, but as I was studying this, uh, the, the context, as I was like different commentaries and researchers or whatever, we're talking about a bunch of Christians, probably Jewish Christians, who are being scattered all over the place. So when he's talking about trials, it's not like, I mean, you could apply it to future trials, but they're currently in a trial. And I was reading this, uh, a lot of it was linked back actually to Acts, of where the start of this persecution and scattering could have came from. So I just want to look for a moment in Acts as we're looking at verse 1 in James 1. So it says in Acts 1.8, this is what Jesus is actually encouraging everyone to be doing who follow Jesus as they're waiting. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that's Jesus saying, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, amen? Being witnesses all over the place. That's pretty exciting, especially when you get to choose when you want to go, right? But what happens when persecution might fuel the advancement of the gospel in a way that's un, maybe foreseen for those early Christians. In Acts chapter 7 to 8, I'm not going to go through it all, but essentially one of the early deacons, his name is Stephen, ends up being killed, literally stoned to death for sharing about the gospel about Jesus, and persecution broke out against Christians. And this is Acts 8.1. I'll share this one verse. And Saul approved of his, at Stephen's execution, and it says, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. That sounds pretty intense, right? It's, it, it, the, the gospel, that whole idea of being witnesses, it's like, yeah, I'm all excited about that. Judea and Samaria, you're seeing that persecution is bringing people. So let's just think about this for a moment, because it's easy to look at a scripture text and like, okay, that's that, that, whatever. But to think like, okay, imagine if, and I hope it doesn't happen, but if it did happen, that persecution against Christians arose in Potsdam. Just work with me for a second. Just get in that mindset. We're all just getting scattered everywhere, meaning we are running for our lives. And we're going all over the place. Some of us are going over maybe to start going to Augensburg. Some of you went across the border, went to Ottawa. Maybe we're over in Montreal trying to learn some French. Maybe we're over in Plattsburgh, down in Albany, Syracuse, Rochester. But we're just, you get the idea, right? We're spreading out. But it's not because we're choosing to spread. Are, are you with me? Because we're being persecuted, <laughs> right? We're being persecuted. So that's the context. So if James was today writing or sharing this encouragement to us, us scattered, those in the dispersia, he's talking about a trial and trials that you are currently facing for loving Jesus. So let's look at some of these perspectives that James encourages us through this uh, passage. So in verse 2, we'll see that he has a heavenly perspective on trials, and he encourages us to count it all joy. In verse 2, to look at it again, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's not a normal perspective. Would you agree with that? At least for me, it's not. Something's going wrong, freak out. God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know if you ever prayed that before, right? Lord, why would this happen to me? God, why can't I just have heaven now? Why is there still difficulty? Why must I take up my cross and go follow you? 
It's an invitation Jesus gives us. But the perspective that James is giving to these Christians that are being persecuted and scattered everywhere is actually look at their, their trials, their suffering, their persecution as an opportunity to counter all joy. Not to be thankful necessarily for a trial in a sense like I just thank God for pain. But to thank God and have joy that God, you are working something in me and through me. Amen? In me and through me. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness, steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in maturity. Essentially, James is saying there's trials that you're in right now. For some of us, I know if we had to be honest, we're in trials right now. And this, this, these trials are actually opportunities for testing. And as we're looking at the words and the original language, this idea of testing is like having the idea of like, a, like a, an intense pressure, like a, like a crucible. Something that's used to be able to heat up metals super hot that the impurities would come to the top and it would actually be pure and clean. Now, that's so exciting when you think of someone else in another trial, right? <laughs> wow, God is working in you to make you even more like Jesus. You got this, sister. You got this, brother. Now, when you're in the trial, it can be hard to have this perspective. God, you're working something through me. A lot of my prayers are usually, God, end the trial. Get me out ASAP, right? Get me out of this. <laughs> and sometimes God does. But sometimes God wants to reassure us that he is with us through those trials. Amen? You are not forsaken. His love has not diminished on you. His mercies are new every morning. He is with you. Like in Psalm 23, I will be with you when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. We have a God who does not leave us or abandon us when things get difficult. Amen? Circumstances, like when I was on the plane, it was all wobbly. I'm like, it's the end. I'm going to go see Jesus. Right? I was under my emotions, my anxiety, my fear, dictate a narrative that was not true. God was still with me on that plane. He is still with you in the trial that you are in even now. There's an example in the Old Testament. I was praying a day or two ago. The Lord just brought back to me uh, uh, remembering Joseph in the Old Testament. And I'm going to do a real quick overview of his life. But you might remember he had a dream that God gave him. And he shared it. Maybe he needed a little bit more tact or whatever. But his, his brothers were super jealous of him. Also his dad, you know, who's his favorite son. So that doesn't help anything. But his brothers, instead of just being like, yo, we need to talk about this, there's anger, we got to figure this out. Like, let's just sell our brother, at, well, they're going to kill him first, but like, let's sell our brother as a slave to people going to Egypt. And so Joseph, I think it says in, in Genesis, I think it's 37, he was 17 at the time, gets thrown into being a slave, and he ends up being a, a slave, and he gets bought by a guy named Potiphar. But the Lord says over and over, if you look at the Genesis account, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. Isn't that awesome? So even though it's like, this is completely unfair, I can't imagine, I wish Joseph would have shared somewhere in there how he was emotionally feeling, right? <laughs> Joseph, how you doing? Your brothers literally framed your dad, told your dad you're dead. He's in constant mourning because of you, because he thinks you're dead, and you're actually a slave in Egypt. Oh, by the way, your brothers made money off of you. That's an awful place. If anyone would feel like in the natural realm to be able to complain and be like, forget you, God, this life is too difficult, I would think Joseph would be an example of someone that would be like, I'm walking away. But we don't see that. Joseph actually presses into God, and even Potiphar could see that the Lord was with Joseph. And then he gets falsely accused of trying to rape Potiphar's wife. She sets him up. He runs away. So then he gets thrown into prison. So now he's been sold by his brothers. He's been in slavery. Now he's in prison. Surely this is the time that Joseph will be like, 
if God's love is based on circumstances, his love is dried up. Have you ever felt that way before? The circumstances are just adding up. The timetable, gosh, Lord, I'm 17. All this is happening in my life now. I'm in prison. But instead, even Pharaoh can say, the spirit of God dwells within Joseph. Isn't that amazing? Still, Joseph leaned in. Everything was just testing and trials and difficulties. And still, he did not give up on God. I'm sure if we had a journal of Joseph's, we probably could have seen him probably asking a lot of questions. We kind of just see a snapshot of his life. But then we'll see eventually that Joseph gets exalted to the second in all of command of Egypt. And he has the opportunity to provide for Egyptians, his family, offer forgiveness. Joseph, when he has his first two kids, one's Manasseh, one's Ephraim. I want to put this one up on the screen. Genesis 41, 52. <laughs> this is beautiful. It says, the second son, he, Joseph, named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Isn't that amazing? This is what he named his child. Reminding that God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So many times we want to pray, God, take me out of this suffering, right? God, take me out of this trial. And sometimes God will do that. But there's other times that these trials may or may not end before eternity. There's no guarantee. I hope if there's a trial, it will wrap up sooner and then there's a new season. But sometimes there's just trials upon trials. But Joseph could see that God has made him fruitful even the land of my sufferings. That's what he named his second child. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Joseph. Amen? To be able to like, you know, things are hard. Counting it all joy doesn't mean you're denying that the trials don't hurt. It's not being like, oh, it's just, it's light, whatever. Yeah, keep hurting me or selling me as a slave or, you know, wrongly accusing me. I'm all good with that. Like, whatever. No, it's not making light of it, but it's having a perspective that, God, you are greater than my circumstances. Your mercy, your compassion is still for me. Even like Andy said last week, even Job, who went through all these different kinds of trials, said even if God was to slain him, he'll still trust in him. It's that perspective, a heavenly perspective. I would say it's a supernatural perspective. It's not one that we could achieve on our own, but we can do it with God. Moving on, James talks about two different sections, and then we'll resume trials in a second. Uh, he has a heavenly perspective when asking for wisdom. So as you might imagine, these Christians who are scattered and being persecuted, Asking for wisdom is something that, like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to do? Even daily wisdom probably would have been really high, especially when you're probably running for your lives. But how do we know we don't just have to be in persecution to be in places where we need wisdom? Does anyone need wisdom this morning? I know I do. Oftentimes at our pastors and staff meetings, that's a very common prayer. We actually pray this prayer from James 1. We ask, Lord, would you give our leadership team wisdom from you? that we could apply together, right? I know individuals, you're probably doing that as well. For those who are married, uh, probably families or couples, praying that, God, we want your wisdom. But James says that if you want a heavenly perspective, you need to ask for wisdom in a certain way. And that's having faith. Believing that when you're asking, that the one you're asking for is one that you can believe in, that his response is something that you'll actually trust. Because he's like, if you are asking Partially, I guess it wouldn't really be faith, if you're asking for wisdom, but also doubting the one giving you wisdom, boy, does that lead to confusion, right? <laughs> Lord, I need wisdom, but I'm also doubting you. Or God, I just want wisdom that aligns with what I want to do. You ever pray those prayers? God, I have a plan set up. I want to know your will, but bless mine first. Amen. You ever do that? 
God, I know you made the stars and all this stuff, but like I know a lot because, you know, I'm just really smart. So just, just bless my plans. But I'm also freaking out. Help me, Jesus. <laughs> Boy, that sounds unstable. James would say that. He, he gives a really strong illustration, actually. The one who doubts while asking for wisdom is like a wa- is one who is on the wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose to receive anything for the Lord. He's double-minded, and that's where it gets to, this idea of almost having like two mind, two-hearted. You're, you're, you're desiring the things of God, and at the same time, you're not. You want the things of God, and at the same time, you're doubting the things he'll give you. It says he's unstable in all his ways. The beautiful thing is, we can ask at any, more, at any moment. Wisdom is something that God offers, and if we go to God in prayer, say, Lord, I really want to, even if you have to say, Lord, help me with my faith. Uh, God, I want to believe, but I'm doubting. Help me, like Thomas. Help me have faith in what you want to say to me. God, help me to be quiet before you and just to listen. Even though this trial is so intense, even though the crucible is crushing, God, I want to wait on you and listen to see what you want to say and believe that I can apply what you're saying with faith and not doubt. Anyone else want to be there? I do. But I realize each of these things, it is not a natural perspective. Right? It's not a natural perspective. It's supernatural. It's literally getting God's perspective, the heavenly perspective on trials, heavenly inspector when asking for wisdom. And as we go into the next little section, heavenly perspective on money, verses 9 to 11. He talks about the lowly brother boasting in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. And James is making a point, especially if you're in a place of... Uh, of trials and persecutions and being scattered and whatever, a lot of the Christians, as you might imagine, did not have a lot of money. Uh, you literally lost your home. You're on the road trying to probably pick up jobs where you can. You're in places that may or may not be uh, hostile to you. You know, it's, 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 it's a very challenging place these, uh, these early believers are in. And having a perspective on money that is different than the perspective of this world. Oftentimes, especially in our culture, I think you would agree with this. Does sometimes our culture or a lot of times say that money is everything? Would you agree with that? Does that culture perspective sometimes slip into the Christian culture? And it looks like this. Jesus, I want you and money, right? I want both. I want to worship Jesus. I want to worship money. But Jesus made it very clear. You can't serve both God and money. But you love one and hate the other. It will be devoted to the one or devoted to the other. James is not saying you can't have money, but if your life is solely on the pursuit of money, watch out. He's saying it's a temporary possession. It says, for the sun rises with its scorching heat, withers the grass, its flowers fall, its beauty perishes. And he's saying this, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And that's all you and I are living for is money as a sense of identity, as a sense of value, sense of purpose, a sense of security. If anything, using it as an idol, something that we place before God, James is giving this warning, watch out. What you're investing in, what you're pursuing, is not from the heavenly perspective. Actually, the perspective that should be had is the perspective of who you and I are in Christ. Amen? That's why a lowly brother, come on, this goes exactly against our culture, can exalt boast in his exaltation but you're like how could you do that you don't have money right how can you do that because he's boasting in the things of God amen not in the materials of this world and for those who have a lot of money he's giving an invitation remember that hey you won't have that forever don't pursue it but also your value 
is also in Jesus. Amen? You can be broke and be so valued by God. Amen? And you could have millions of dollars and still be valued by God. Amen? We just don't want you either to have the lack of money. I just need to get more. Be my only pursuit. Or, God, I have millions. I just want millions more. Be our pursuit. No. We want to value and have a perspective of God. Lord, the most important thing is who you say I am. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of the king. James gives warnings elsewhere in this letter. When we see someone that comes in with a lot of money into a gathering, let's not just go and esteem the people we know who are rich. Let's value people because they are image bearers made in the image of God. Amen. And we can do it. Oh, man, that person looks cool. That person's educated. Okay, someone comes in poor. Uh, yeah, someone that could visit with you. But, oh, man, tell me about how you made it, you know? No. Yeah. James is like, don't do that. Value people. Have a heavenly perspective on money. It comes and goes. Have a perspective that values what God says is valuable. He did not send his son to die on the cross for our bank accounts. He sent his son to die on the cross for humans, for you and for me. We want a heavenly perspective on money. And then verses 12 to 15, uh, we're actually going to resume perspectives on trials. So we kind of started in verses 2 to 4, had a couple little nuggets on other things, heavenly perspective when asking for wisdom, heavenly perspective on money. Now we resume a heavenly perspective on trials. Verse 12 to 15, I'm going to look at it again. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And James continues, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desires when it's conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. So there was these early Christians that were thinking that, well, maybe these trials are just God tempting us, right? Maybe, maybe that's what's happening right now. God's just tempting us. So, you know, if I fall into that temptation, that's God's fault. James is like, no, God's not going to tempt you, uh, nor is he ever tempted in a way that he responded by sin. As humans, though, when temptations come, we have an opportunity to choose the way out that Jesus provides or to fall in those temptations. Some of the commentaries put it this way. If you contrast the beginning of the beginning of this chapter with where we are now, you'll have a trial. You have testing, which results in steadfastness, which results in maturity. That's the goal. Or you can face a trial. If you're not pressing into God, it's easy to fall into a whole host of temptations. Isn't temptation so easy to fall into? It doesn't even take any effort, right? That's the problem. A trial hits. Uh, maybe God doesn't the best for me, so I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Bam, temptation's there, gives birth to sin. Ultimately, the result of that, at the full level of it, is death apart from God. The invitation that James is inviting those early Christians to is when trials are coming, realizing that God's working stuff through those trials. And like if when we face temptations in difficulty, realizing that there is grace, that there's ability through supernatural power through God to be able to take steps when you can only feel like you can crawl. That temptations don't have to have victory over you every single day as far as falling into them. Even Jesus was tempted. You might remember when he was baptized, 
And it says the Holy Spirit led him right into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He was tempted by the devil, but he didn't fall into any of these temptations. He didn't let any of them birth into sin. Obviously, Jesus was perfect. God gives us the ability through his strength and his power to be able to overcome any and every temptation. Amen? And sometimes we're just in the trials of life, and it's hard. When you're, when you're on, like, the high point of life, if the high point of life was on a mountain, it's pretty easy to say no to temptations, right? Life's going well. Family relationships are good. Friends are just everywhere. They're super mutual. Lots of money in the bank. Health just seems to be, like, multiplying even stronger, faster. You know what? Temptation comes on. Eh, I'm not doing that. Whatever. It, it gets challenging when we're in the valleys of life. Amen? When you're getting worn down and you're thinking, you know, the enemy, he's a liar. Maybe God doesn't have your best. Maybe you should just kind of take the reins and start leading your life the way you want. Maybe you should just run after the things that the finances give you and the provision. And just don't even worry about God. Right? Those subtle little lies, right? And you're like, man, at the mountain, I would never even entertain this. I would take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And not even one moment would I entertain this. But now when you're getting tired and you're worn down, it feels like you're getting hit by waves. It can get, it can get hard. But even there, God's grace can reach you, amen? God's grace is more than sufficient in any trial and anything that we are facing. That God, you are with me. You are for me. You are not against me. And Lord, my circumstances might tell me this is the end. My circumstances might be telling me I need to give up. My circumstances might tell me that I need to just do me in Egypt instead of following God in a land that does not love the God of the world. But there is a grace and ability to be able to avoid temptations like Joseph did and to grow through testing, which produces steadfastness, which just produces maturity. The last section I want to look at is uh, a heavenly perspective on God. So we looked at a heavenly perspective on trials. We want to count it all joy. Heavenly perspective when asking for wisdom from a place of faith. Heavenly perspective on money. Resuming heavenly perspective on trials. And lastly, heavenly perspective on God himself. When we're in the midst of a difficulty, sometimes our thinking can get off on who God really is. And I, I've been there in my own life. I've had friends that have changed their theology of who God is based on their emotional pain. And if you're in that spot today, I just want to let you know your emotional pain is real. But I want to let you know that God is still the same yesterday. Are you with me? Today and forever. He is still for you. I've, lost, I've seen friends so close give up everything they had in Christ because of significant pain and suffering. I just want to encourage you, if you're in that place, <laughs> keep pressing into Jesus. And if you're too weak to press, just let him hold you, right? Let him love on you. Let him care for you. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I'm so weak, I can't go on. Lord, would you take care of this? I'm, I'm worn down through this trial. God, I need your grace. Lord, I need to see a miracle. Fall forward towards the cross if you can't walk. James finishes this section saying, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the fathers of life, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's saying, essentially, God's character does not change. And God's character is good. Isn't that awesome? Our circumstances do not change the character of God. No matter how hard or difficult they are, no matter how intense the trial is, 
You know, no matter if you're like Jesus, who's literally weeping blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, he still knows that, God, please take this cup. I don't want to go to the cross of my humanity. But not my will, but yours be done. Trusting the character of God, even in the midst of the trial, even declaring that, God, you are good. And James chapter 5, which I know I'm not in there right now. We'll be probably looking at it again. It says, if any of you is suffering, they should pray. If anyone has gratitude or thanksgiving, they should sing. And I want to encourage you in wrapping up this message. If you're in a place of suffering and a trial, you can receive prayer from others, which is awesome. But I want to encourage you, you can go directly to God and ask for his mercy. Amen. Sometimes we think we need to go to someone else because they have some special relationship with Jesus that I don't to ask for prayer. I'm not discouraging getting prayer from others. I hope you get that at the end of the service. But I'm encouraging don't neglect going to God just because you think you need someone else to pray for you. Are you with me? I remember one time I was at Bible school in, in Elam and at this church I was at, they had a, a healing prayer at the end, prophetic prayer. That's like people I hear on behalf of God for you. I remember waiting in a line for prophetic prayer. I was like, you know, I need some direction. I need some wisdom in my life. <laughs> I'm a college student. College students, we ever need wisdom? Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Adults, we need wisdom. Yeah, we, we all need wisdom. So I was going in line. I was waiting in line. And there was a, a couple that's doing prophetic ministry. And all that is just hearing on behalf of God for someone else. And just tuning in, listening to the Lord, listening to me and listening to the Lord. And they both said at the same time, remember this. I think it was like 19. Uh, they said, hey, Jim, uh, we feel like the Lord telling you that uh, <laughs> he... He really wants to just tell you the next direction in your life in person, and he doesn't want you to hear it through someone else. Because what I was avoiding was spending time with God by myself. So I wanted to fast food it, drive through it, are you with me? With someone else listening to God on my behalf. But Jesus said there's one mediator between God and man. That's him. That's Jesus. And honestly, when we're hurting in life, sometimes we just don't want to talk to Jesus anymore. I know I've done that before. You know what? I'm just going to do me. Other people can tell me things about God. I'm just not going to go to him. I want to encourage you, come to Jesus. If anyone's suffering, pray. It's not saying have someone else pray for you yet. That does come later in that passage in James 5. But saying you pray. You directly ask God as a daughter, as a son of the king, directly have access to the throne of grace. You pray. If anyone's glad, sing. Praise God. Put it into action. You, as an individual, right before God. And then later on, it says, encouraging, have the elders come and pray for you. Yes, that's all great. But let's not miss the step of going directly to God ourselves. Are you with me this morning? I hope that makes sense. But I just felt this encouragement. Like, you can go to God right now. Like, you, at the end of this uh, service, we're going to have a song to sing. You can just ask God, Lord, I need you right now. I want to see receive prayer. That's great. But, Lord, I know I can come directly before you. And maybe you've messed up in the trial and you've fallen into temptation after temptation after temptation. You're like, my life is a life of just sinning against God. I just want to let you know, as it says in James 5, we learned about this last week, that God is compassionate and he's merciful. Meaning you can receive mercy this morning. Amen. There is mercy this morning for all of last night's mistakes, for all this past week. If you've fallen into temptation, you don't have to keep living there. God will meet you in that place, and he can set you in a new day. I want to invite up the musicians at this time uh, as we'll be wrapping up in a song, and then we'll be having a benediction. Once again, for newcomers, love for to connect with you in the library if you're able to stay after the service. One final story uh, as the musicians are coming up. A couple of years ago, I was driving up from Albany up 87, 
beautiful fall day, you know, just like this. The leaves are gorgeous. Everything's going great. And so I decided, instead of taking, I take exit 23. Is that Warrensburg? Is that right? 22? 22? Okay. I think I went on 26, Pottersfield. It was some way that brought me through this place called Minerva. Anyone been over there? Yeah. It's this place that supposedly is faster. And I happened to be renting a car at the time and had like really slick tires, which is really nice for dry roads. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And so I was just driving through, went up to Pottersville. I had Peter and Josh with me and I was by myself and I was renting a car. So it's not my own. And I went in and Pottersville was beautiful. 87 was beautiful. But once I got to Minerva, a, like a, a winter blizzard I've never seen in my entire life came out of nowhere. So we went from this kind of weather to a blizzard. Anybody with me? You might have experienced that. Now, the thing about Minerva is it's beautiful. It's S-curves everywhere. It's up and down. There's no cell phone reception there, at least for my cell plan. Yeah, I'm getting some, yeah, there's no cell phone there. So this winter storm goes in. I'm thinking, you know what? It's probably a little flurries. And so I just keep driving and I keep driving. Things keep getting worse. Eventually, you can't see the road. Eventually, there's trees in the road. And I was freaking out. I was so scared. My boys, Peter and Josh, like, Daddy, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm not okay. I don't know what to say. I'm like, uh, I'm not, yeah, I am, maybe. I don't know. It was so bad. I knew if I stopped, I would get stuck in the snow. I knew if I got to the edge, which I couldn't see, I would slide off. And I didn't have any cell phone reception. I was really scared. And then the Holy Spirit just said, just start singing, blessed be your name. It was my song, son, uh, Peter's favorite song. And so I just started singing, blessed be your name. I did that. It took me about an hour and a half to do a half an hour drive. When I got to uh, near Tupper Lake, there's that stewards there. I got out of there. I was just like shaking because I thought for sure I'm just going to go off the road. My gas was low. It's going to run out of gas soon. There's no one to call. Nobody's on the road except me. And I was scared, but I just kept singing, blessed be your name, God. And the times that are good, blessed be your names. In this moment when I'm freaking out, God, I want it before my kids and before you, Lord, I want to still praise Jesus, amen? Even when I was so afraid, so fearful, so sure in my heart that I was going to slide off the road at any point on one of these S-curves. But God brought me through it. I'm like, I want to bless your name. So this morning, as we're in a place of singing, whether you're on the mountaintop of life and you're just like, bless your name, God, you are good. And hey. Things are going really well. Thank the Lord for that. Praise him. But if you're in the valley right now and things are difficult, I would encourage you, lift your eyes from your troubles just for a moment to look on your father's face who's shining on down at you. And let's bless God's name together. Amen. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much that you are good on the mountain. You are good in the valley. God, we can praise your name at any times, Lord. Even like Paul and Silas, they get thrown in jail. Let's have a worship party. God, you are just that good and you do not change. Lord, I pray that we would glorify you now and God, that you would bring healing to broken and hurting hearts this morning that are in places of trial and suffering. God, I pray for a renewal. God, I pray for a refreshing. And Lord, I pray for our friends and family members who are in trials. God, help us to bring hope and encouragement to them. Lift them up in this place, God, knowing that you have never left us, nor will you ever forget us, God. We thank you and praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.